who have not already found, would you find in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 13, you're going to be reading verses 6, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 26. Uh, if, you can't, if you can't understand the words coming out of my mouth, feel free to look at the screen. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 26 is our scripture today. Many of you know, if you've been a part of the services recently, we've been through a series of messages talking about what we can learn, what God can do. And we've been talking about Elijah. And uh, we're taking a little bit of a pause from that, hopefully under the Holy Spirit's direction as we put our focus on the life changing direction that Jesus wants each of us to go and look at our theme because we'll be reading about Jesus, of course, but about Peter. As a matter of fact, the five stories in Vacation Bible School are all going to be about Peter, how Peter came to know Christ, how he grew in Christ, his maturity, and even how he shares Christ in the book of Acts. And so we're looking at one of those episodes, not necessarily that's part of those, but one of the episodes in Peter's life that helps us understand how Jesus surely changes everything. And uh, we're in Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. This now is God's word. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day, be raised. Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. In the passage we read in verse 21, it says that Jesus set toward Jerusalem. He was headed to the cross. If we studied scripture, we know that this was not the first time, of course, that we knew Jesus was heading to the cross or that he knew either because we know at the baptism of Jesus, even though John's baptism was for the repentance of sin, when Jesus was baptized, came in and up out of the water and recognized he was looking forward to the fact or looking ahead to the fact that he came to die on the cross and be raised on the third day. Matter of fact, if we go back as far as at Bethlehem, we know that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was born so that he might die, so that he might be able to give his very life. There in Bethlehem, when he was born, he was just uh, five miles and 33 years from the cross at Calvary uh, there in Jerusalem. But even before Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah foretold of what would take place about Jesus going to the cross. As he said, as a lamb is led to the slaughter, he did not say a word. How about this? In the Garden of Eden, way back in Genesis chapter 3, when God told Satan of the offspring of woman, you will bruise his heel, but the offspring of woman, meaning Jesus, will crush your head. 
Jesus has been heading for the cross for a long time. As a matter of fact, in the first part of his three-year ministry, you know there are many times scribes and Pharisees and leaders of Jerusalem or the, of, uh, of the Jews were ready to take Jesus, ready to arrest him so that he might be killed. But it was not time. But now we've come toward the end of Jesus' ministry, maybe six months left as we come to Matthew chapter 16. And now he tells the disciples clearly he is heading toward Jerusalem. This would now be the time. But to go back to Jerusalem, because he had been, at least in these last few chapters in Matthew, had been in Galilee. He'd been in the northern part. It says particularly, verse 13, that he was in Caesarea Philippi, which is kind of the northern part of Palestine. Maybe a safer place for him to be. But to go back south would be to sign his own death warrant. But it's why he came and what he must do. Jesus is our example of a willing sacrifice. So you're going to be asked this morning, have you ever really sacrificed something for Jesus? Or if you were sacrificed, are you willing to give something up for the Lord Jesus? I've known people who have. I've known people who've given up a lot or sacrificed much. Some are missionaries and some are pastors and some are just ordinary people. Not that missionaries and pastors are not ordinary people. Okay, maybe they are a little bit strange. But on the front of the Alabama Baptist paper this week, there's an article. It's an article. In fact, let's show the front of the Alabama Baptist. Just for some of you that are not sure what a newspaper looks like, this is the Alabama Baptist newspaper. And it's an article seems to be about uh, the Bible drill, Alabama Baptist Bible drill, but it's really not. It's about a 16-year-old girl by the name of Ava Coulter who won second place in the youth speaker's Tournament. Ava was born with Mercurio syndrome, a rare genetic metabolic disorder that affects the bones and the spines uh, and physical abilities of those who inherit the condition. Here's a little bit closer picture, perhaps, of Ava with her reward. Living in Madison, Alabama, she would often travel in the early part of her life to Chicago to take part in clinical trials to see what help that she might get. Now, every day, every week, once a week, she goes to Huntsville to find... to to take treatments on. The article's primarily about how Ava does not allow her physical disabilities to limit her learning about God and about His Word. At the Alabama Baptist Speakers Tournament, uh, Youth Speakers Tournament on April 29th in Prattville, Alabama, Ava spoke on the topic, Is There a Cost to Following Jesus? And she talked about the sacrifices that she has made as a follower of Jesus but probably not in the way in which we might think as we look or we understand about her life. She talked about how Abraham had left everything in order to follow God in the Old Testament. She talked about this very passage that we have read here and talked about what it means to take up your cross and to follow Him. She gave a personal story, not about her disease, but she gave talked about the cost of losing a friend because she decided to stand on God's word rather than conform to her friend's acceptance of an alternative lifestyle. I told her, Ava says in her speech, I told her that though I don't agree with the choice, I still love the individual. Her advice to other teenagers facing the same kinds of dilemmas is to pray about it because God's going to lead you where you need to be. It's better to listen to God than to your peers. Her mom said after going through many surgeries, constant physical therapy, and clinical trials, she could have gone a different way. She could have given up on God, but she's allowed God to use her condition for God's glory. Here's a picture with Ava and the first place winner. I've just got to think that guy must have given a really, really good speech in order to come into first place over Ava's speech. But you know, as 
Ava would say it's not about being in first place. It's not always being in first place. In fact, Ava understood the cross that she was bearing was not the disease, not the physical things that she, we went through, but the cross that she bare was willing to submit to the Lord in everything regardless of the cost. It's an excellent article written superiorly. I encourage you maybe to look it up and read it sometime. But what is it that would make people willing to give up something to follow Jesus? Hopefully we're going to find out. It may be that God is calling you to make some kind of sacrifice, maybe to give up something. Maybe it is to do something in order to be able to follow him. But how would you know? Well, in the passage that we've read, Jesus is taking time to disciple Peter and the other disciples. In fact, he's discipling us if we pay attention. And as they turn and head south back toward Jerusalem to what Jesus would know would be the ultimate sacrifice. You have seen, and we've already talked about the theme for Vacation Bible School is about is twists and turns. It's about games, not about sports games, but about board games and video games and those sort of things. So we're doing things a little bit differently today. And uh, we're going to talk about how we might be able to uh, level up, how we might be able to move to a different level, maybe in a game type uh, format, but this is what's really different. And if you're here the first time today, you've not been here before, you may just think we do things really backwards here. But we're starting, if you're paying attention to the notes, we're starting at the bottom of the notes and we're going to work our way up. Kind of a reminder that we need to continue to make our way up and continue to grow in Christ as well. Now, if you're not paying attention to the notes before, they're just going to be on the screen. You just see them as they come up, and I think all will be fine. But here's the first level, and it's this you're convinced that Jesus is Lord. That is, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've already made your commitment to Him, asked Christ to forgive you of your sins, then it is because you're convinced that Jesus is Lord. Discipleship begins with confessing with confidence before others that Jesus uh, is the Savior of the world and that He is your Savior. Growing in maturity begins with being certain about who Jesus is. Notice the two questions that Jesus asked, one in verse 13 and one in verse 15. The first one is, who do people say I am? And the second one is, who do you say I am? Now Jesus actually asked, who do people say the Son of Man is? By referring to himself as the Son of Man, he kind of puts an emphasis on the incarnation, the fact that Jesus is here and he is God in the flesh who has come amongst us. Also, that phrase, the Son of Man, is an Old Testament title for the Messiah. And Jesus was claiming he was the Messiah. And he is the Messiah. And the disciples gave him the answers of who other people say that Jesus is. He might have been disappointed, but certainly it was not a surprise. The disciple might have thought that these, what they called Jesus, were compliments. Now, you've got to know they called Jesus some other names as well that were not so polite. But they didn't the disciples decided not to give Jesus those answers, but the ones that might be more complimentary. For instance, he said, some say that you're John the Baptist. Maybe because some people have a superstitious belief. Some people have a superstitious belief. Uh, for By this time, John had already been beheaded by King Herod. So for Jesus to be John... It would have to be some kind of reincarnation, some kind of supernaturally reappearing, or maybe just confusing because Jesus and John were born just a few months apart. But many people in that day were superstitious about such things. And there, there were some similarities between John the Baptist and Jesus. Both preached about the kingdom of heaven. Both preached about repentance. But with Jesus, Jesus declared that the kingdom of heaven is here. 
While John said that the kingdom of heaven is coming, or the kingdom of God is coming. Also, Jesus declared that in him is found the kingdom of heaven. Well, let's just think about this. Are we sometimes superstitious in our belief? You ever come to church on Sunday just because you think if I come to Sunday, boy, the rest of the week probably going to go a whole lot better. Well, yeah, I hope that that's true. hope that that happens. If I give my tithes and offerings, surely the Lord will bless my business a little bit more. Uh, if I give enough of my time to the church and helping others, aren't I racking up frequent flyer points somehow in heaven? Or maybe church will give me health or wealth or both. Boy, it almost sounds religious, doesn't it? Believe it or not, that's very close to being superstitious rather than living for Jesus regardless of the benefits simply because you're convinced that Jesus is Lord. The disciples said, some people say that you're Elijah. Hey, there he is. We've been talking about Elijah. Or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Maybe because some people have a selfish faith. Some people have a selfish faith. It was prophesied that Elijah would come before the Messiah, that Elijah would return or one like Elijah. Jesus clearly said John the Baptist was the fulfillment of the one like Elijah. Here was Jeremiah that was mentioned. Jeremiah preached often about the restoration of Israel and preached judgment, and sometimes that's how what people heard from Jesus as well, or one of the other prophets. So by thinking that Jesus is one of the prophets, they're thinking, finally someone's going to come who's going to lead us and Help us with the oppression that we get from a Roman is going to be a military or a political leader for us. They were looking for their prayers to be answered. Could we believe in Jesus for selfish reasons? Jesus, what can you do for me? Do we pray for Jesus to answer our prayers, help us out with our problems? Lord, please help us out politically so things will be better. Have you ever noticed our prayers are rarely answered the way in which we might envision or want Jesus to answer that. Thank goodness, because we certainly believe that the Heavenly Father knows best. These answers given by others may have been meant to be complimentary, but thank goodness he was not just a prophet, not John the Baptist, but much, much more. Let our belief in Jesus not be because of our superstitions, not be because of something that we want selfishly, May we remember the words of Paul in Ephesians. May we believe that because the Lord is surely able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Then Jesus asked the second question, Who do you say I am? Because what others believe is no substitute for your belief. What others believe is no substitute for your belief. How do you answer that question? Because how you answer the Jesus question becomes the most important question there ever is. But nobody that reads the Bible is surprised that Peter spoke up for the twelve and he answered, and really with a remarkable answer for Peter because he says, you are the Christ. Peter said, you are the long-awaited Messiah. Christ means Messiah, anointed one, son of the living God. It's, it's really a new title for Jesus in the New Testament. He is unique. He's the divine son of God. Not John the Baptist, not a prophet, but the one who's come to do the work of God as God, which no one else could do. He is the living God. In other words, he's not like any dead, non-living idol that is around. So let us be convinced that Jesus is Lord. Have you made it to the first level? Do you know that Jesus is Lord? Are you convinced about that? I want to tell you today that if you're here today or someone listening today and you're not convinced that Jesus is Lord and you've not made him Savior of your life, it is our prayer today that because you've come into this worship service before this hour is complete, that you'll make that cross over, that you will come into the kingdom. You've 
ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. He's made the promise that if we genuinely call out to him, we know that uh, we come into the family of God. But there's another level we see in this passage. You're called to serve. Level two, for stepping up, you're called to serve. What high praise Peter received when Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. It's the only time that Jesus, as far as I know, that Jesus used the word blessed toward an individual and called him by name. It was kind of like saying, you've got it right. You found it. You discovered the truth. If you look at Peter's life, you see the progression as Peter was called from the boat and he continued to follow Jesus, discovering discipleship as a progression and he needed to become more and more like Jesus. Jesus gave him the name Peter meaning rock. And this is the second time Jesus calls him Simon Peter. But as we'll see, he's still not quite grown into the name. God has some special plans for Peter and has some special plans for all of his disciples, including us. But here's some descriptions I think we learned from this particular passage. And one, disciples are truth tellers. Disciples are truth tellers. Now, the Roman Catholic Church calls Peter the first pope because of this particular passage and because of the authority that it seems that perhaps that he is given over the first century church. And while we do not want to overestimate Peter's importance to the church, we don't want to underemphasize it either. Peter plays a foundational role, but he himself is not the foundation. In fact, Jesus uses a play on words here, and probably if you've studied this passage, you've heard of this before. He says that you are Peter, the name is Petros, meaning small stone. And on this rock are Petra, which means large stone, I will build my church. If anything, Jesus was saying that this was a large rock of truth that has come from such a small stone. I think Peter tried to explain it to us, what Jesus said, in one of his letters. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5-6, through 6, he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him, meaning Jesus, will not be put to shame. I don't think anybody that read Peter's letters would think that Peter thought that he was the foundation or that he was the stone. But we're all living stones built upon the chief cornerstone who is Jesus, proclaiming truth like Peter did. But also, disciples are overcomers. Disciples are overcomers. Oftentimes in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Revelation, talks about the seven churches. It talks about how all those who are followers of Christ are overcomers. We read in verse 18 about where it talks about the church, and this is the first time that the church is introduced in the New Testament, church meaning assembly. But he says, The gates of hell shall not prevail or shall not overcome against the church. Meaning that the church, which also means the called out ones, will continue. Local churches sometimes disband, sometimes they die out, but the church, the body of Christ, will never be destroyed. It will never stop until Christ comes. Do you ever find yourselves wanting to be a part of something that will last? I mean, of something that really matters? Well, here Jesus declares that the church, the body of Christ, the one who represents the one who is the son of the living God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, we who are the body of Christ, it will be that which lasts. You want to put all of your effort 
You're going to put all of who you are into understanding that the church holds the hope of the world and that we are, have, we are on mission for him. But the Bible says hell literally means Hades, uh, which refers to the place of death. It will not overcome against the church, meaning that Satan or death will not be able to stop the work of God's kingdom through his church. Throughout church history, there have been many deaths of Christian martyrs. And instead of stopping the progress of the church, instead, throughout church history, it has proved over and over again that the growth and the size of the church and the power of God continues to be displayed. Well, this helps us to understand disciples, though, are not on the defense. It talks about the gates of hell, the gates of Hades. And you think about the gates... We seem like maybe the gate, they wouldn't overcome the gates of the church, but it helped us to recognize that we're not on the defense. Instead, we're on the offense. Faith in Christ makes us overcomers of sin, death, and Satan. So as a church, we recognize, and as believers in the Lord Jesus, don't hang your head in defeat, but recognize the victory's already been won in, Christ, in Jesus. In fact, what does the scripture say? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, what can man, what can anyone do to us. But also we understand that disciples are servant leaders. Servant leaders. Peter was given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He was not given the keys to heaven. Now this is the misunderstanding that we often hear sometimes about uh, Peter being at the pearly gates. Maybe said sometimes in Christian jokes perhaps about who's at the gate. Peter's waiting, but it's not going to be Peter waiting for you. It's going to be the Lord Jesus, we understand. However, Peter was given a special responsibility as a guardian of the good news. In fact, they weren't to tell anyone that Jesus was the Christ until after the resurrection. But if you look in Acts, well, you find out the leadership of Peter began to come to fruition. Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Peter preached, 3,000 people were saved. Acts chapter 8, Peter was the first one to go to the Samaritans after the ascension of Christ. And then Acts chapter 10, he's the first to go to the Gentiles. He had the authority, along with other apostles, to share the gospel so that others might be part of the kingdom to declare that which was not part of the gospel. In other words, Peter had the authority to say that people who do not believe in Jesus will not go to heaven, and those who do believe will go to heaven, and they will know Christ. But even with this leadership position that Peter eventually took, authority that was given him by Jesus, you know how Peter opened up his first letter? 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant, apostle of Jesus Christ. He was a servant leader. But hear this, and don't miss it. All the disciples had the same responsibility. All believers and followers of Jesus still have the same responsibility and authority given by Jesus. That every time we say, John 14, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Every time we say that, we are unlocking the gates of heaven so that others might be able to know the truth. It is the gospel message. It's the second level is accepting the call to serve in the kingdom wherever he has placed us with the gifts that he has given us. So you and I, we have responsibilities. And we stand on the authority of the Lord God that was given here in Matthew chapter 16 that says that we need also to let loose the gospel so that all people might be able to hear and come to know Jesus. 
we're going to step up another level. Let's look at level three, and it's this. You count the cost of following. You count the cost of discipleship. Jesus uh, told the disciples in verse 21, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, that there must be four things that he had to do. He was go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed and raised again the third day. We see in Peter glimpses of maturity for before he may have just blurted out what he thought. But at least in this case, he takes Jesus aside as if he's going to tell Jesus something new that he needs to go. So he at least has the maturity to know that he needs to pull Jesus aside, but not quite the maturity to understand that Jesus knows all things already. And so he tells him, he says, no way you're going to Jerusalem to die. This is not going to take place. Well, verse 22, I don't know if you noticed, but it's there. It says, and seems odd to us, that Peter rebuked Jesus. The same Peter who just declared this great testimony that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, he's now gone from the penthouse to the doghouse. He's now called to being blessed, to being compared to Satan. Now he's gone from being the champ to the chump, and, or maybe from Savior pointing to Satan's pawn. Boldness was not Peter's problem. Concern was not, but he still had something to learn about the cost of following Jesus. An admiring young man asked the world-famous conductor Leonard Bernstein how to become a famous and rich musician. The famous musician talked about hours and hours of hard work and practice and study and dedication. The conductor paused, and the young man said, Frankly, I'm not really into hard work. I just want to be rich and famous. We're often misguided. We want to enjoy God's blessings. We want to see the power of God. We would not mind God seeing God at work in the life of our church or maybe in the life of us. We'd love to see the power of God at work with us. Just not sure that we want to pay the price or count the cost or sacrifice. So here's a test to see if you've made it. If we've made it to level three, are you ready? The first one is this. Would you like to see the church to grow? How many of you like to see more people coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Grow in our love for one another, love for the lost in this world, become more and more like Jesus. Grow in our ministries and our impact on our own community as well as around the world. Would you like to see that? You know, there's a place on the notes you could even circle yes or no or yes if you think I'm there. And here's a second question. Would you like to sacrifice and pay the price in order for these things to happen? When Jesus looked at Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> it's the same words that Jesus used after he went out into the wilderness and was tempted those three times, and he said, Get away from me, Satan. And after those temptations, the Scripture says that Satan left him for a more opportune time, and Jesus recognized the temptation that day in Matthew chapter 16 that was before him was to seek to establish the kingdom without a sacrifice. It's the same temptation that many of us face in our journey. We'll follow as long as there's not too high a price. It's because, like Jesus said, we're thinking like men and women and boys and girls, and we're not thinking like God. Peter had to learn that the Christ he would follow would be a crucified Christ. You see, he had enough faith to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but not quite enough yet to accept the death of Jesus on the cross. In verse 20, Jesus said, after they had declared that Jesus was the Christ, they said, uh, don't tell anybody that I am the Christ. Now, it was a temporary restraining order, but why would, they, why would Jesus tell the disciples that? 
Because to be able to understand the Christ without understanding the cross would be a misunderstanding of the intentions for which Jesus came. It would be thinking that he was a political or a military leader rather than the one who'd come down from heaven in order to be savior of the entire world. We get our understanding of the cost of discipleship from the example that Jesus gave us. There's a fourth level that we find in these particular scripture, and it's this. You carry your cross and follow Christ. You carry your cross and follow Christ. Jesus went from focusing on his role to the role of the disciples. He said, in essence, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die and raise again on the third day. And then he focuses in on what the disciples and what's required of those who are followers of Jesus. The challenge is for us to be able to look at our own lives in the same way that Jesus looked at his life. But some of the most watered-down theology is to understand what it means to take up the cross of Christ. Peter later knew what it meant dying on the cross next to him if that's what it is asked. It was no small demand. Today we see crosses on earrings and necklaces and all over the place and mounted in different places and around and there's nothing wrong of course with believers anybody else particularly wearing a cross it's a symbol of love and it's a symbol of sacrifice Billy Graham though said that one time talking about wearing crosses on your necklace would be the same thing as wearing an electric chair for in that day it was a horrible means of capital punishment the Romans would not mention it in polite society no Roman citizen would be crucified it was a means of execution only for the enemies of Rome but at verse 24 Jesus said if anyone would come after me he must carry his own cross and follow me Jesus said take up your cross he made it personable this is before Jesus was crucified so what do you think it meant to the disciples if not at the very moment or maybe even later after Jesus was crucified, perhaps it meant something else. You ever heard somebody talk about a pain that they must endure, something that they've got to go through that's really annoying, and they just say, well, that's just the cross that I've got to bear. What did Jesus mean? David Platt said that taking up your cross as a Christian is the same as a dead man walking. In other words, the Bible says that you are no longer living for yourself. You've died to self, and you are alive to live in Him. But to take up your cross means to totally identify with Christ, to live a life of total commitment, even if it requires physical death. That is the message, submitting everything and giving everything over to Him. Galatians 2.20, Paul wrote, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So to deny self is not necessarily to die, to deny yourself of things, to be sure that you don't have any pleasure in this world and nothing that you'd want to have, but it's to give yourself wholly over to him, regardless of what he asks for you to do. It is to say, I am a follower of Jesus. The die's been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I will not look back, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small plans, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap giving, or dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence or prosperity, position, prominence, or popularity. I don't have to be right. First, tops, recognized, 
praised, regarded, or rewarded. I, live, I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, labor by power. My face is set, my pace is steady, my destination is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, deluded, lured away, or... Or, or, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, negotiate at the table of success, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stood up for the cause of Christ. I am a follower of Jesus. I must go until I drop, witness till I'll know, work, so that he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner is clear. I am a follower of Jesus, the Almighty God and Savior of the world, and my personal Savior. Now, I didn't write all of those words that were ahead, nor do I have I ever lived up to those, but it is that which we aspire to be. So here's the game changer. Following Jesus is not something you do. No, it's not something you do once a week. not something you do once a day. It's not something you do from time to time. But it is a lifestyle. And the invitation this morning is to be a follower of Jesus. Got to tell you, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't recommend it unless I was sure and confident that Jesus is Lord. Unless I already knew and understood of the love that he has for me and the life-giving purpose that he gives each one of us found in Jesus and the truth that he proclaims. And it's because of Jesus' sacrifice, not because of my sacrifice, but it's because of Jesus' sacrifice that I'm able to know that I have an eternal home in heaven and able to know that he walks with me every day and I'm able to follow his plan. Jesus said the only way to really find life is to give it away. And there's nothing that we could gain apart from Christ would be worth what we would be giving up. Every believer is to be a follower of Christ. Are you, are you ready to up your game, move to the next level, continue to grow in Christ? Or do you need to start your journey, give your life to Him today, even as we've already talked about, asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and asking Christ to come in today? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to come and listen to what your word has to say to us. We thank you for the opportunity to bring worship to you today and praise. We know that you've heard our prayers. We pray now, Father, even as we continue these last few minutes of worship, that we've not turned anything off, but that we'll continue to focus on you. We'll continue to exalt your name. At the same time, Father, that our hearts and minds might be ready to listen to you. What is it that we need to do to continue to grow in Christ? To move to the next level for you to help us to be all that you want us to be in you. And we pray, Father, for those who may be here today or those who may be listening that do not know you as Lord and Savior. May today be the day of salvation. This very hour, they can call upon you and know with confidence that Jesus is Lord and begin their journey. We lift these prayers up in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus.